BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. The Neverland Podcast, episode number 34. To all who come to this happy place, welcome. And now, please welcome your host for the podcast. He's the pen. I got pen sword on the pen now. Actually, I got his microphone. He's grown up. You promise never to grow old. Here, age relives fond memories of the past. His nose got real big. Well, who wants to back to the man? And now. Your host, Jeremy. All righty, pull your pixie out of your pocket and sprinkle sprinkle her all around because it is time to fly away to Neverland. And I hope you remember to bring your friends with you this week. This is going to be what I'm going to call just a single subject sort of week. We're not going to have our usual news or anything like that. We're just going to dive right into some fun because we have some special guests. Welcome back, Scott and Tracy from Disney, Indiana. Yay! Well, thank you. (laughs) Thank you for having us on the show again. Well, we have gathered now in Disney, Indiana. I have my own little home here at uh, 1138 uh, Alderaan Memorial Lane. I've built a a nice little space station. I had to, you know, assuage a few fears about some people were kind of concerned around 4th of July. There were some massive explosions. I would, of course, I had to make sure everybody knew there was just a a slight weapons malfunction, but we're all fine. Everything's fine here. Don't send anybody here. We got a large leak, very dangerous, but we're all fine here. How are you? Uh, We do have this old guy that keeps coming to us up to us and say, you know, that's no moon. We don't know what's going on with that guy. Uh, well, we did have a, uh, a strip poker game the other day. Whoa, okay, PG. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go for it with the moon thing. Uh, and if it was a blue one, occasionally I have seen Smurfs. I don't know what they're doing in a Disney town. but uh, Yes, just don't drink the blue milk. Exactly, don't drink the blue milk. So, anyway, so Scott and Tracy got to do a really, really cool event. Uh, well, from the time I'm recording it, it was been uh, this past weekend uh, over at, uh, what do they call it? The Superheroes Hall of Justice Museum or something? 
for it's a it, its official name is the Hall of Heroes Superhero Museum, and it's located in Elkhart, Indiana. Ah, and I'm going to have to make a trip out there because it, it looks just like the old Justice League from Super Friends. Oh, it's so cool. But, of course, there was a, a special event. Now, you guys went to a special event before, uh, which uh, I forgot which episode of your show uh, it was, where you guys had went up there and they actually had a, a Captain America shield from the Avengers f- movie there, and you got it to hold it and get some pictures with Scott there. Yes, that was, we're checking to double, double checking what episode it was. Uh, back in June. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to make you do some more editing. It was episode 155, which came out Sunday, the 8th of June. All right, so everybody, if you didn't hear that, you need to go check it out because it was awesome. So, and it'll get you, especially if you're, even if you're only a fan of Marvel movies, it's still really, really kind of cool. And uh, I think you had some pictures on the website as well, didn't you? Yep, and we uh, also just put some pictures up from our most recent trip. So we do have some pictures from that one as well. Tracy actually got to, uh, in that episode, uh, interview the founder founder and creator of the museum. Right. That's Which, definitely a man after my own heart. <laughs> yeah. Alan Stewart, um, to tie into our topic for today, he was actually one of the final five finalists for the uh, role of Robin in, was it Batman and Robin? Yes, the Batman and Robin film uh, that was uh, from 1997. Whoa. So he was almost instead of Chris O'Donnell. Yes. Wow. I don't know if it would have made the film any better, though, because that one just had a bad director anyway. But Yeah, that one had a lot of problems. A lot of problems. <laughs> I still saw it twice in the theater, though, because I just love Batman. Which, you know, that's obviously what we're talking about today, is it's Batman's 75th anniversary. So, But in order to really start this story of things, we need to actually go back 76 years. Because in June of 1938, a very special character actually came out. Uh, now, there was already been a company called Detective Comics, who later became DC, but they wanted to do a sort of more action-oriented, so they launched Action Comics. They needed a character, found these uh, two boys, uh uh, Schuster and Siegel, and they had been trying to market a character onto the comic strips during the, the, the Depression because that was a, a huge entertainment and you could actually make a lot of money if you could make a good comic strip, but they could not sell this character anywhere on any strips. But finally, they get this offer to just do a complete comic book, so they gathered a bunch of their strips together and put out the first book in Action Comics, where in June 1938, Superman was first introduced. And because that was so successful and it's the first real superhero, about a year later is when they were talking to Bob Kane and who worked with a guy Bill Finger which a lot of people seem to forget Bill Finger he never gets the credit but uh, they kind of got some ideas between Da Vinci's flying machine and also some in the pulp magazines there was a character of the shadow who was like this millionaire guy who had who was able to hide in the shadows and was mysterious and they kind of put that together to make their their superhero version of that pulp kind of hero and they came around 75 years ago with Batman He's been going ever since now, a lot of incarnations. But that, so at this museum, they were having an event. Now, was this like how huge was this? I mean, it looked like from your photos, you had a lot of cosplayers there. Well, the um, it was a very large event. In fact, we didn't get there at open. The um, attraction um, party actually started at uh, 10 a.m. And by the time we got there, it was about uh, about one o'clock or so. Because one thirty, yeah. And there was already there was still a long line. Uh, the Hall of Heroes Museum sits kind of far back on the property, and there's probably what 200, 300 yards of driveway back to it. 
that when we got there, it was almost full of people lined up to get in. And uh, we talked to um, Alan uh, later on, and he said that the line uh, at 9 o'clock when they opened was all the way down the driveway, made a left down the street and down two blocks to get in. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Yeah, for something that, you know, a lot of us, I guess, haven't heard of, they've got quite the... uh the draw is still going on. My goodness. Yeah, they said they did a, a really good of job of getting publicity out in the area. Um, Elkhart, you may or may not know, is in the northern part of Indiana. It's near S- South Bend. And not that far from Chicago. I don't know for sure if they, if they reached any media in Chicago. But, yeah, there were a lot of people, a lot of families, as you would expect. And they uh, they did have a lot of now the the picture that you saw that you referred to earlier with all of the cosplayers they were all actually there with the museum oh so uh, you could go and to get into the museum there was an admission price and then if you wanted um, pictures they were it was kind of a fundraiser to help support the museum so you know for I think it was ten dollars you could get two pictures taken uh, with your camera taken with your camera. And so we have uh, one picture uh, that uh, we've posted on our Facebook, uh, on my Facebook group, and Tracy's also posted, that uh, had um, several of the characters. And uh, what, what I really liked about it is there was a couple of obscure characters uh, in the list. There was uh, somebody actually dressed up as King Tut. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but... <laughs> But the, the, the picture has uh, King Tut, Catwoman, uh, Mr. Freeze, Batman and Robin, Superman, Harley Quinn, and a pair of Jokers, because every deck has two Jokers, as one of my Facebook friends said. <laughs> Wonder, Woman was also too, in, so. Wonder Woman was also in attendance, but uh, we didn't have a chance to get her in the picture. Yeah, she was. Th- they would have one of the uh, characters walk down the aisle and meet people and take individual pictures to, to help the the time and the line go a little bit quicker so uh, she wasn't available and one of the things that uh, this picture also kind of obscures it's hard to see there was also a 1966 era batmobile parked right behind us oh so cool <laughs> now our second picture which i haven't posted uh well i've, I've posted just uh, right before we went on recording uh is just tracy and i in the batmobile <laughs> well, with the batmobile we were not allowed with. in the batmobile yes of so course Oh, which is too bad. Uh, it does remind me, uh, I haven't watched this in a long time, but there was a, uh, it's, there was a reality show that Kevin Smith owns a comic shop called the uh, Jay and Bob, Silent Bob's uh, Secret Stash. Yep. And uh, they'll have people bring in merchandise and different things to sell, but one person actually showed up with a 1966-styled Batmobile and actually had a cowl. And so he actually had the other people in front of the shop sitting in the car, and they wanted to wear the cowl and everything and drove around the block. <laughs> that would be the ultimate fanboy dream in a lot of ways. Oh yeah. <laughs> but uh, I do recall you guys mentioning that they actually have one of the original uh, Adam West costumes there. In fact, this is the only complete Adam West Batman suit wow. in existence, and the Hall of Heroes was actually up against the Smithsonian uh, during the auction to get it. <laughs> I wonder how much you paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> but they they have it uh, on display there in the museum. It's it's on a uh, uh, Adam West kind of looking dummy. 
and there's also a signed a letter signed by Adam West for uh, the certificate of verification. Wow. Do, do you remember exactly what it said? I don't remember the exact words, but it was something like um, this certificate will not guarantee that wearing this ob- wearing this costume will not cause you to be the object of ridicule or possibly being taken to the insane asylum. Something like that. <laughs> we quote it better in, in the show. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, that or uh, you know, if you put it on and do your best William Shatner impersonation, people might actually think you were Adam West. There you go. And if they'd but ever he, gotten him and, and William Shatner together in the same movie, it probably would have been the greatest thing ever. It had been the longest, that's for sure. Yes, it would have <laughs> been great. To the bed cave, Robin. We've got to fire our lasers. So, yeah, something to that degree. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, the, the museum has quite a large collection, especially of the 1966 Adam West era, era Batman. They've got um, a bat phone. They've got uh, the, the is it Beethoven? The bust of Beethoven? The one that they raise the head back and hit the buttons to... Is it Beethoven or Shakespeare? It might be Shakespeare. Beethoven. They, ha- they have one of those. Uh, um, they also have a poster, an original poster from the movie... They magazines got, from the time period that covered the the TV show and the movie. You know, Viewmasters, you know, just a whole bunch and, and tons and tons of toys. Of course. And the Batman stuff that they have at this museum is probably their biggest wing. I mean, it's a two-story museum, and then the first story, about half of it is Batman. Mm, <laughs> wow. Maybe a third. My but goodness. the upper the upper level, you go upstairs, and one side is all DC, and one side's Marvel. And he has, I think he said, the largest private collection of comic books in the United States. And again, if you look at some of the pictures, you can just see boxes upon boxes upon boxes of comics. Makes you wonder if he's one of those guys yeah, when if we he had any sort of trivia question about any sort of comic book, if he could tell you what issue number and whatnot. <laughs> Quite possibly. <laughs> well, like like you'd mentioned earlier, uh, just to, to go off topic for just a quick second, when, when we went there for Marvel Day uh, back in May, um, they had one of the screen-used um, Captain America shields from Captain America, the first Avenger. And what's really cool about the shield is on... The backside of the shield has got almost all of the actors from Captain America Winter Soldier, um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., including, you know, Josh Whedon is on there, a whole, whole bunch of uh, names, and, you know, that's the one that we got to hold when we were there. When we were there this time, it's um, in an acrylic case that you can see both sides of it. Oh, my goodness. Was that one of those moments after you held it, like, I'm never going to wash this hand again? <laughs> I wanted to see if I could, like, stick it in my back pocket or hang it on my back and they would notice, but no, nah, <laughs> I couldn't do that. It was awesome. Oh, my goodness. What is it made out of? Is it actually, like, an it, aluminum? It or? was, no, it was heavier than aluminum. Oh, it was aluminum. much heavier than aluminum. I don't know what it was actually made out of, but it was, it was uh, you know, what they call a hero model, so it was used for close-ups and stuff. So it was uh, heavier weight. Now, the ones that uh, were used in action might have been a little bit lighter. But this would have been one that uh, Chris Evans would have just been carrying. He probably didn't actually battle with it. 
Hmm. Makes sense, because you definitely would need more than one, because I'm sure they damaged a lot of the uh, the action shot ones. Uh, especially with, you know, having to throw it and... <laughs> you never know if he, you know, hit something off, off screen and everything and it broke it in half. Like, whoops, we need another one. <laughs> so I've heard, like, with the Harry Potter films, you know, they had all these different wands uh, for each one because they'd have, like, a rubber that's kind of more flexible for action shots, and they, they kept breaking some of them, and... It's amazing how much that stuff can go through. It's too bad they don't actually have vibranium to make a shield out of, you know? But <laughs> <laughs> well, they only have enough to make one of those, though. Oh, of course. Which, it was kind of an interesting uh, tie-in, actually, to, uh, like, the 20th Century Fox. I think vibranium was actually mentioned in the Wolverine's uh, Origins and everything. There's, they're talking about a rare metal, which you kind of end up assuming would be the adamantium, but uh, considering they were in Africa and kind of in a Wakandan area, you kind of wonder if they were kind of like hinting at, well, yeah, vibranium, you know. Well, they both um, Wolverine and uh, Captain America from the same company, so it wouldn't mm-hmm. surprise me. It'd be nice if we ever get a chance to get those tied together in one movie, but it just doesn't seem to get to happen. Yeah, I, I kind of want to see Spider-Man in the Avengers. Yep. Him and Wolverine have both actually been part of the Avengers. Yep. Uh, although apparently that's going to completely change now after the original Sin storyline that's going on in the comics right now and uh, big news has been going on where uh, the, the new Thor is going to be a woman and uh, even though I like him better as Falcon, Sam Wilson's about to take up the mantle of Captain America Iron Man's getting some white armor but the Avengers are going to be completely changed and I, I kind of wonder if uh, during the course of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. if they might find a way to reflect and maybe, you know because new characters are becoming Avengers, and they, they've even shown the Winter Soldier as one of the Avengers in a picture I've seen. I would like to actually see in the movies, maybe, you know, the Winter Soldier. I've heard he's going to get some, maybe his, his, a solo movie, but it would be nice to see him come in as an Avenger and maybe introduce some of these other characters in. I would love to see it. Getting kind of way off track of Batman. but <laughs> <laughs> oh, one, one thing I just uh, heard today about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., did you see where uh, Lucy Lawless has been added to the cast? Ooh, fantastic. Haven't said what she's going to be or if she'll be a, a permanent character or what, but she will be in season two. Oh, boy, there's a lot of possibilities because it seems like they're, they are trying to get some of the more obscure Marvel characters out there, like uh, having Deathlock in there in that first season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's, he's somebody a lot of people will be like, who's that? And so I'll be like, I know. And um, <laughs> So, golly, there's so many different characters she could be. I would actually think, you know, it would be fun. I would love to see them do this because, you know, they are, it's, it's a big trend right now, at least within Disney, to have strong females. I would love to see them do something with She-Hulk. Ah. And oh. Lucy Lawless would be an awesome She-Hulk. <laughs> Just saying. So, so yeah. Um, as long as she's not allergic to green body paint. Right. <laughs> Let's hope not. But I would, I would be all for that. That would be really cool. Then maybe they could stick her in an Avengers movie too, because I like She-Hulk. So, but anyways, we were supposed to be talking about Batman. About Batman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Marvel guy, so if you get me going, I'll just Marvel all over the place. Oh, but, we're Disney people, so that's you know, yeah. what's yeah. this DC stuff? We don't. <laughs> what is all this Warner Brothers? But, but you know, everybody in their own way loves Batman, and uh, the most common reason I hear for it is mainly because he's like an ordinary man. So part of the like in the back of your head, you can kind of think. You know, if I trained this much and I had these cool gadgets, I could be Batman. Which is probably why everybody wants to get in that Batmobile. They're like, yeah, I could do this, totally. Well, you also have to have pretty much unlimited funds. Yeah. <laughs> it does tend to help. So, I've actually heard a, a nice description. Uh, I think Todd McFarlane is one saying that uh, 
he was comparing his character Spawn that he created on a whole different thing, comparing that with Batman. He says, well, Spawn seems sensible, even though, you know, he's kind of an odd character. But when you consider Batman, here you've got a billionaire who got, has to be completely insane because he's never, you know, from the traumatic event of his parents dying, instead of enjoying the fact that he is a billionaire, he's running around in a bat suit all the time. <laughs> so there's a little bit of insanity got to be going on in there. You know, I'm, I'm sucking on a cough drop, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that was kind of one of the things that's fun about Batman Through the Ages. Now, I kind of wonder at the uh, museum if they if they have anything about, uh, I forgot what year it would have been, um, and I've actually seen some of these on DVD, and they're terrible. Uh, but there was an old serial series where you used to go, like, every Saturday morning to your local theater, and you could, you know, for a nickel, sit there and watch these type of things. And the Batsuit looks golly awful. Are you, there was actually two series. Uh, there was 1943, there was Batman, and then uh, Batman and Robin in 1949. I'm not sure I, which one I saw then. Yeah, I don't recall if there was any references to those at the museum. I'd have to go back. Most of the collection, I think, is focused on the 1960s, the Adam West Batman. For, and that forward. And from there forward. Yeah, that's yeah. when it really probably took off better. Yeah, um, I've uh, the only way I've actually seen any of these film series, uh, serials, excuse me, um, are you familiar with Rift Tracks? I've heard of it, I think. Um, Mystery Science Theater 3000? Uh, that I've heard of. I haven't actually saw any of it. But you, you're familiar with the concept where yeah. people are making fun of whatever they're watching? Yeah. Well, a couple of the people that were in Mystery Science Theater 3000, um, after it ended its run, formed Rift Tracks, and they still, to this day... Uh, if you go to, to their website, they put out uh, MP3 audio files uh, for modern movies that you can sync up with your DVD and watch it, or stuff that's in the public domain or whatever, they'll release uh, actual videos for it. And, and they've been doing one of the Batman film serials oh my from the goodness. 40s, and, and I've seen a couple of the episodes from that. Okay, yeah, I'd heard of them. I think mainly there was a Kickstarter um, that somebody had shared. might have been you all had shared it, but they were uh, working on... I forgot what movie, they were, but they needed a Kickstarter. Godzilla, to get the 1998. Hmm? Godzilla, the 1998 version with yes, Matthew Rodden. that's what it was. Yeah, I remember seeing about the time the new film was coming out, and I was like, oh, who, what do these guys do? And so I kind of looked into it, but I didn't realize how much stuff they'd done. I haven't looked into that, so I'll have to put a link up now on the website. See people check it out. Okay. Oh, um, so really, I guess then from 1966 is when it really kind of kicked up. Now, one of the things would be an awesome. I'm going to throw out uh, like a potential item that hopefully would be in the museum. But uh, there is a classic line that everybody always remembers <laughs> from the, the when they after the series had been become popular and they did that movie. Some days you just can't get, you can't rid, of get a bomb. rid of a bomb. <laughs> I would hope somewhere in that museum they have that bomb. Uh, we are looking at. I our don't remember now. actually seeing the bomb. Um, they they have a lot of like bang pow stuff that you would see in the fights on signs, but I don't remember seeing the bomb at all. I think there was one. I think we just didn't take it. Wasn't included in the picture. That it might have been. A, I don't. I don't know if it was original or right. Not, but um, but that yeah, would be, there. That would be just fun to hold it. And it's like yes, <laughs> the bomb. <laughs> That or a can of bat shark repellent. Yes. 
That is one slight drawback to this museum because there is so much stuff crammed into a relatively small space. Mm. I mean, again, if you look at the pictures, it's just all kind of crammed in there. So there's not really any signage explaining you know where different pieces come from or what their significance is so that's that's one thing they were saying that they are planning on expanding the building so i'm hoping once they have a little bit more room to play with they'll start looking at doing some signage because yeah, oh, i have a, i have a feeling that when this was starting and this is alan's personal collection that, oh yeah that started out and he probably because if, if you look at the building you know the front of it does look like uh the Hall of Justice, but the back of it is just a Quonset hut. <laughs> and I think it was probably just a Quonset hut that he had there that he started putting his collection in, and then he decided to open the museum and then put the facade on the front of it. Well, it was a good choice for a facade, that's for sure. Do you know where the uh, what the facade of the Hall of Justice is actually based on? The Super Friends cartoon, I know at least that no, came no, from no. there. But Well, I mean, were that the idea for that were the the actual real building that that's based on no idea uh train station in cincinnati ohio really yep if you drive along i-75 in cincinnati you'll see it and it looks just like the hall of uh looks looks like um the hall of justice oh there's a photo op (laughs) well see now i have that's another one of my to-do lists you know i've got a lot of geeky places i really want to go one of them being metropolis illinois um, and then, of course, now i got to go to Cincinnati, Ohio, as well as now i got to go to Elkhart, Indiana, to check this out. Oh, my goodness. Um, I forgot I completely lost my train of thought. Yeah, more editing. Okay, well, let's you know, move on. Like, we'll just talk some history of Batman and everything. Okay, so the 1966 Batman, uh, of course, you, you wouldn't have thought that it wouldn't have went over as well as it did, but I, I think, um, for at least in my generation, th- that was... So some of my early impressions of Batman. I mean, granted, I had seen the Super Friends cartoon, uh, but you know, it was in syndication that suddenly the 1966 Batman series come, came on, and I think probably for most people in my generation, that was our early version of Batman. And uh, I, I'm very excited they're releasing this on the Blu-ray, by the way, because it's is, as, as much as now as an adult, I watch it and I say, "Oh my gosh, this is so campy!" You can't help but love it for its campiness and its cheese and the comedy that comes from it, which was on purpose. Well, that that was my first exposure to Batman. I mean, I, growing up, I wasn't into comic books that much, but seeing the Batman uh, show from the '60s, and and I, I think I'm a little older older than you, but I I still didn't see it new, but I did see it in, in syndication, and just falling in love with it. That to me, that's my Batman. Everything yeah. else pales. I mean, I, I enjoyed some of the movies and stuff but if somebody says what's your favorite batman it's it's adam west it's not even close yeah Uh, and i've already got the um the series pre-ordered oh i didn't know you could pre-order it already yeah yep amazon is taking pre-orders you know that was one of the things that was weird because uh you know when i grew up uh mainly in the 80s you know, I had cartoons of uh, the Super Friends and Spider-Man and his amazing friends, and that was, for a long time, was the extent, the extent of my knowledge of the characters. You know, I didn't I, I, reading a comic was, book was few and far between. But I remember that in 1989, 
because you know information is is harder to come by you have to really be looking for it back in the 80s uh like if you were into wrestling and you wanted to know a little bit more about the wrestlers you had to go and there was all kinds of wrestling magazines and for a you know a comic book fan to know anything about a movie or anything you'd have to have been following all over the place so i really didn't know that this was coming until i remember uh 1989 the first commercial i saw for the tim burton batman and I saw him wearing all black, and it was very dark, and I was like, this is not the Batman I know. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought the same thing. That, you know, There was also, I can remember, news stories at the time, like on Entertainment Tonight, those type of stations, uh, shows where you know, Batman is going back to his roots. He's going to be the dark, foreboding character that the comics knew, not the campy 66 version. And I'm like, that's the one I like. <laughs> yeah, they actually Batman's popularity really grew from the '66 series because they actually, uh, you know, the comics were similar in style to that, but you know, the comics actually got even a little bit campier themselves just to kind of lure people in. And the fun thing about the '66 series is they actually created some characters like King Tut, although he didn't really—I don't think he's lasted from the the series. I don't think he he managed his way into the comics. Mister Freeze, however, was created for the '66 series, and he did land and became a popular character in the comics um let's see what was another one um uh, I, I believe did clock king make an appearance that I, I i keep thinking of, i think rotting mcdowell uh, no he was bookworm bookworm yeah, ro- yeah bookworm bookworm he didn't cross over as far as i know but I, i'm pretty sure they did an episode and they had the clock king as somebody playing the clock king hmm. i'll have to research that one later that's so the, the cool thing about character that's the cool thing about the 66 batman is all of the people that come on there to be villains I mean, yeah. you got Vincent Price on there as Egghead. Mm-hmm. It was one of my favorites. It's another one created just for the series that was never in the comics. <laughs> some of those you'd have to be thankful because of, with what they're doing with it now, I don't know how some of these characters would fit in. But then again, in the comics, you also have a, a Tweedledee and a Tweedledum character villains. So I, you can get away with lots of crazy villains, apparently, in Batman. So, But yeah, so the 1989, I guess we'll jump back over here. Boy, that film just really kind of launched it. And although I am a diehard Spider-Man fan, for a while there, I think Batman was kind of everybody's favorite superhero. Because, uh, you know, I had grown up, you know, seeing, of course, Superman movies and everything, and everybody loved Superman. But then, you know, when that had kind of faded away because you had uh, one kind of bad, but at least Richard Pryor was funny movie, and then a horrendous movie. Quest for Peace. Ugh, horrendous. That was more of a political statement than a movie. So... <laughs> It one thing terrible. one hmm. thing I remember, you know, when, when the Batman nineteen eighty nine Batman movie came out was when they announced Michael Keaton playing Bruce Wayne and Batman. And of course our experience with him at the time was he's a comedian. He's mm-hmm. funny. He's Mr. Mom. He's Mr. Mom. He's Beetlejuice. Yeah. What is he doing in a Batman movie? But I think he gave a heck of a performance. To this day, he is the best Bruce Wayne. Yes, I think that's why he got the roles. They really, they really wanted to have a good Bruce Wayne because, really, Adam West. I think that's why how he got cast. Is he was just a fantastic Bruce Wayne. He was a good-looking man. He was big, tall, and he really did have that Bruce Wayne type of personality. And then you just put him in a bat suit and he just let him go. Well, what my, uh, to me, what Michael Caine um, had <laughs> over 
excuse me, Michael Caine, that would have been really interesting. Yeah. He comes in later. Yeah, he uh, later. <laughs> what Michael Keaton had over uh, Adam West in the role of, of Batman, especially <coughs> as Bruce Wayne, <coughs> is the more reserved, calculating uh, side of the character. Yeah. I mean, Adam West, he was out there. He was, you know, he was campy. He was out there. He wasn't hiding anything, but there was just something about uh, Michael Keaton's performance that was just kind of you know, really intriguing and interesting. You wanted to find out what was going on uh, behind the cowl, so to speak. Yeah, even though everybody in the audience already knew what was up, but it was it was it made an interesting storyline as you have Vicky Vale following him to where his parents were murdered and things like that, and so he was very good at being that kind of mysterious, and yet he would put on the proper bravado when needed, like when he's hosting the uh, the fundraising party there in his home, and he's kind of being yes, I am pleasant, you know, Bruce Wayne and everything, but it's still that secretive. I love how he. Uh, when Vicky Vale first asked him, say, hey, when's one of these guys is Bruce Wayne? And he's like, well, I'm not sure. And he's really saying, I'm not sure if you're somebody I want to talk to because exactly. I have secrets here. So it's interesting to see him kind of follow and then come back around. And then he turns into Mr. Oh, yes, I'm Mr. Nice Millionaire. How are you guys doing? Hey, how about give Knox a grant? Ha ha ha. You know. So, yeah, that's exactly like what we were saying. He was able to, you know, do that duality of putting on the, the this is me being Bruce Wayne and uh, yet having that mysterious thing kind of going on in his eyes where he's like has this secret so and plus that still in that movie has the best live action joker i you know I, as far as the best joker overall that's still mark hamill uh just for voice alone uh you're never gonna top him but he was jack nicholson is still my favorite joker with a close second to actually i think by cesar romero i loved his version of the joker was just it was he was kind of funny and he was able to hide that mustache I'm not not a Heath Ledger fan Yeah, I'm surprised Well, I loved Heath Ledger, but he wasn't exactly the Joker He was a very interesting character, and I did love him but uh, see, with Heath Ledger, it's like they made so many changes The the, the problem with the Christopher Christopher Nolan films, and they're good films But he tried so hard to make it real That he forgot that there's supposed to be an element of fun in this And by turning the Joker into somebody who's just painting his face uh, it, it's, you know, as my buddy Phil, uh, we call him Lost Boy Phil around here whenever he kind of co-hosts, his mm-hmm. name, he said he didn't really fully f- feel like the Joker until the end. And then you're like, oh, but now the movie's over, and now he's really starting to feel like the Joker we're familiar with, but now it's like, well, the movie's over, and he can't come back because the actor has passed. Yeah. To so, me, he's the most um, unnerving. Yes, that is true. And I agree with you. I like the 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 more. Uh, I, I, I can't, hate to keep going back to the word campy, but I can't think of any other way. And this comic is the same bookie? comic booky. I mean, even Jack Nicholson played it that way. I yeah. mean, not total, not totally serious. And that's one of the elements that I like about you know Batman. I mean, you're you're in a world where you know that's populated by characters that must be refrigerated to live, that are part plant, mm-hmm. and you're trying to make it real that just kind of loses something to me yeah there are certain batman villains you can get away with with a realism but uh joker doesn't you know he, he made it cool but the joker's got to have that little bit of oddballness which jack nicholson had that perfect balance of the wackiness but also had that dark kind of personality because he's jack nicholson he can really just do that dark and creepiness and everything oh, yeah but, 
be able to, you know, fry a guy and then laugh about it. This, this, like that is the character of the Joker, and the, I think the closest we saw Heath Ledger get to that is when he's trying to blow up the hospital and it's not working, and everybody laughs at that, you know. But that's something that was missing when he would kill someone; he wasn't laughing about it in that movie, even though it was kind of fun. He did one, you know, the magic trick and stuff like that. But you know, the mm-hmm. Joker finds death funny. Yes, and so he Jack finds Nicholson chaos got funny. That, but the Heath Ledger Joker, he didn't laugh about what he did. Although it made it funny in the movie when you're sitting there and he's trying to work that button and you can't get it to work. Everybody in the audience is laughing at it and you're kind of... There's a lot of stuff in that movie that I will say is brilliant because the audience is laughing at something that he just did that was really horrible and we're laughing at it. And you're like, oh, I shouldn't laugh at that, but it was actually funny the way it was presented. So you kind of get it, but it, it's just weird that Heath Ledger didn't seem to laugh about it. The only time you really have him doing any sort of a laugh is when he's... Uh, Kind of, you know, when he's introducing himself to the gangs and everything, he's ha ha, ho ho. And it's like, yeah, I, I wanted a bit more hysterical laughter than what he gave. I mean, there are some other points he kind of busts out laughing, but it, it just needed a bit more of that. Agreed. I, I think the the maniacal type laughing is mm-hmm. what what we needed in that film a little mm-hmm. bit. Now, I enjoy that film quite a bit, but yeah. to me, it. Yeah, it's a Batman film, but it's not, um, not my Batman. Yeah, it's it was a different, and I and I do enjoy those. I have nothing really bad to say any of those. They're just very different, and none of them actually felt like a Batman movie. But Christopher Nolan said he wasn't really, especially with the last one, he said he wasn't really making trying to make a Batman film. He was just trying to tell a good story, and he did. He did tell good stories and everything. And you know, all and of the until third one the third, drags on. I say until the third one. I wasn't a fan of the third one. Yeah, it drug on a little too long, and it's just too depressing there at one point. So, mm-hmm. and, and you I can't understand. And you can't understand what the bad guy's saying. So. Yeah, and Bane could have been b- done better. I would have liked to have had some version of the Venom. Be in, even if he was just shooting it up every once in a while if they didn't want to go full out but something that was enhancing his strength uh, to make him more of a frightening character because he, he seemed like he was Jean-Luc Picard he sounded like Picard and he was was very brilliant which I'm glad for that because I hated the way they presented Bane in uh, Batman and Robin the, the movie there <laughs> making him mm, Bane you know that was completely out of character he looked pretty good you know, but he was completely out of character. So at least Christopher Nolan really kind of brought the character in where he is very smart. Because, uh, you know, where this character comes from, uh, the character specifically because DC had had such success by, you know, killing Superman and bringing him back, which you find out later he didn't die. He just needed to recharge his batteries and burying him didn't help because he couldn't get to the sun. But anyway, so they and they had so much success with that, they thought, well, what's the worst thing we could do with Batman? He's mortal, so we better not kill him. But what if we broke his back? Uh, and so they created the character of Bane as being somebody who could calculate the best way to bring down Batman. And the entire storyline is he he busts everybody out of Arkham to make Batman have to wear himself out trying to round everybody back up before complete chaos happens. And then after he's just worn out, Bane then shows up and takes him out easily. Which, in the movie, when they brought him around, it seemed more like, oh, well, we, we seem to have an old hobbly Batman who's only getting around because he's got a you know knee brace or something on. And so it just makes a bit more sense. Well, he's just out of practice, and so he doesn't really have to do anything besides have Batman show up and say, yeah, I can break you, you know. So I, it, it seemed a little anticlimactic. I, I do like how this conversation is going. We started off with the the good, the you know, the sixty six Batman, the eighty nine Batman, and then skipped over a few, and then got to the Nolan films. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can always back up because I love the Batman animated series. 
Well, yeah, I do. I, I, I've not seen it personally, but I have nothing. But I like the fact that we skipped over Batman Returns forever and Batman and Robin. Yeah, I kind of liked Batman Returns, if yeah. only for Danny DeVito's Penguin. Yeah, I, he was great for the character. They just didn't have to make him so disgusting. Yeah. Well, that's Burton. Yeah, that's that's why you know for for I know a lot of Disney fans were all we love Tim Burton, but I'm like I I I got to give him a fifty fifty because sometimes Tim, Bur- Tim Burton just blows it out of the park, and you're like, yay, Tim Burton! And then sometimes he does something, you're like, why, Tim Burton? Why? So he's is it's a hit or miss with him. So I'm always you know skeptical, like, well, let's just go and just see it for what it is, and you know because there's things that he's done that I love that a lot of people just yeah like Corpse Bride. I loved that movie. But I have a lot of people apparently who didn't like it. They thought, oh, it was like a Nightmare Before Christmas wannabe. And I'm like, yeah, but if you like Nightmare Before Christmas, wouldn't you want another movie that's similar? Because mm-hmm. it's that same style. So well, I, I will be the dissenting voice because I didn't like Danny DeVito in that film. I, there isn't anything really that I liked about Batman Returns. I wasn't hmm. a fan of that film. Still had Danny Elfman score. <laughs> well, okay, there was one thing I liked about that. <laughs> that and the Batmobile. <laughs> and Michelle Pfeiffer as the Catwoman was pretty good. Uh, no, because that leads to Halle Berry as the Catwoman. <laughs> no, we don't even talk about that. That's not actually part of Batman mythos. She she kind of became Catwoman in the fashion of the Crow, uh, where she was like killed and brought back by cats in a weird way. And you know, we don't even discuss that one. I haven't even seen it. I just heard about it, and uh, I was like, no, I don't. Th- I'm sorry. I like Halle Berry enough, but uh, don't ruin a good character. Now, if they'd have done Catwoman a bit better with Christopher Nolan films, you know, I, I could have seen potential spin-offs because uh, Catwoman is a very intriguing character. Um, but she was barely Catwoman in the Christopher Nolan film, and it was, you know, Anne Hathaway. I liked her because she, I, uh, she kind of reminded me of um, Julie Newmar a little bit, just the way they kind of styled her. And Julie yes. Newmar was the greatest Catwoman ever. So I, I have nothing against. Um Anne Hathaway in that outfit from um, Dark Knight Rises. That was the highlight of the film for me. <laughs> yeah, she did kind of, when, when she had the weird ear, I guess there were eyepieces that flipped up but it looked like ears. Yeah, she did kind of look like the Julie Newmar style with the hairstyle they did. And I was like, hey, you know what? I like this. So I would have liked to maybe seen that spin off and maybe they could have developed her and make her a little bit more Catwoman-like. Yeah, it could have happened, but I guess now we've got Ben Affleck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, I've had a lot of people, as you were saying, with Michael Keaton, you know, we really didn't expect him because, like, well, he's funny, he's Beetlejuice, and I love him, but all the funny stuff, can he be serious for this? Uh, and I've had people say, you know what, we didn't expect Michael Keaton to be that good, so maybe we should give Ben Affleck a chance. And I'm trying to think that way. But I'll, I'll, got... I'll ask one question. Is hmm. Kevin Smith directing? No, Zack Snyder then, is. Then Ben Affleck will be terrible. <laughs> there you go. Because Zack Snyder, I know he's... He's he's got some. He's like Zack Snyder is like Michael Bay. He can manage to get box office, but he gets box office because he's grabbing licensed material. He doesn't have to actually make anything any good. I mean, I I saw the first three hundred. I'm I'm done there. I don't need to watch any more of those. I saw Man of Steel, and I I, I left the theater going, this is not right. Although they cast a good Superman, it just didn't quite get it right. So uh, the only uh, film of his that I saw was the remake of Dawn of the Dead. Which, Which again, I didn't see. Existing material. Yeah, existing material. Existing material. 
which is pretty much why, as Michael Bay has said, that he, it doesn't matter if he makes a bad movie, everybody will go and see it, and he'll make a lot of money. And the reason why Michael Bay can say that is because he's only making Transformers or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, something you're familiar with, that you're going to be like, oh, I kind of want to see it because I love those characters, but even though in the back of your head you're like, he's going to make me hate him. <laughs> so, we are not that pleased with, for DC and Warner Brothers, they're just loving Zack Snyder, they're going to give him a Justice League movie, and letting him just go forth... Because he can bring in some box office, but it's not Zack Snyder bringing in the box office. It's the strength of your characters. But I don't know how long you can make that last before your people who've, who've loved Superman and Batman for all this time are going to say, Ugh, I'm just tired of you ruining my, my childhood hero, you know, and making him... Talk, talk to Joel Schumacher. Yes. <laughs> if you Well, I don't know if Zack Snyder is that, that bad as Joel Schumacher. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I, I think I would still take Zack Snyder over Jules Schumacher. Yeah, because at least uh, Zack uh, Zack Snyder has not given the gratuitous bat shots. I'm substituting bat for a different word, <laughs> <laughs> and he wouldn't put nipples on the suit. I was wondering if we were going to get to Nipplegate or not. Yeah, Nipplegate, bat nipples, and then I still just can't understand well, why mammals. when he suits up, we had to get a gratuitous <laughs> bat shot. Yes. <laughs> like, I don't. I'm sorry. Is this a, your way of trying to get women in the theater, or is this part of Joel Schumacher's other lifestyle? I don't know. It's like why we didn't need to see that. You got a bunch of fanboys in the audience, and we were not looking for that. So, uh, especially on a large screen, you're like, oh, whoa, well, hello, Val Kilmer's butt. Ugh. Uh, <laughs> well, at least it wasn't Alicia Silverstone in a, an outfit that was four sizes too small for her. <laughs> And that was back when everybody just thought Alicia Silverstone was great, but really, uh, where'd and she not go? so much. <laughs> she she wasn't really a great actress. She was pretty, but she wasn't really a great actress. I don't know whatever happened to her. She's just gone. I I don't I can't think of the last thing I saw. It might have been Batman Robin that I the last yeah. thing I saw her in. After that, I'm uh, clueless. Ha 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 ha. Okay, <laughs> two points for me. You keep setting him up, and I'll keep swishing him. <laughs> so, and I don't even like basketball. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I, I'm trying to think now if there was something after that. I cannot think of anything. You know, one of these days she's probably waiting around like Christina Applegate, you know, who was famously known for Married with Children and being the, uh, oh, look, you're the teenage, you know, beauty queen or whatever. And she's managed to reinvent herself and come back. I wonder if Alicia Silverstone is just waiting, and at some point she's going to reinvent herself, come back, and we're all going to be like, yay, Alicia knows. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at uh, her Wikipedia page, and she was in a Broadway play in 2012 called The Performer. She's but, in a couple. Yeah, she's actually in three different Broadway plays. So Maybe she's working on her comeback. Is, you know, Broadway, having to perform in front of a live audience tends to make you a better performer, I've, at least in my mm-hmm. opinion. Yep, so she's, she's on the great white way right now. So who knows, we may see her in a sitcom. It's coming, but uh, yeah, that's we're getting off track from Batman again. <laughs> so let's see where were we? Because uh, gosh, we've just hopped around. But while we're just talking about the you know uh, the animated series, and even though you guys kind of missed out, um, I don't suppose he had any memorabilia from the animated series or anything. Did he some pictures or anything? Oh yeah, he had he had uh, pictures and and magazines that had covers and stuff from it. And I think maybe even some. Um, oh, he had toys from it as well. I was thinking um, concept art. Yeah, I think he. Had, I think he had some cells too. Oh, they're. <clears throat> yeah, he had some 
character sketches of several of the villains. I remember oh. Solomon Grundy and Scarecrow, I think. Oh, yeah, there was a couple of different versions of Scarecrow. Is that When he made his first appearance, he was a bit more kind of realistic and very kind of creepy, uh, kind of skinny Scarecrow. And then later on, they uh, gave him this weird big mouth thing, and <laughs> which was still kind of creepy, but it, I, I think they were trying to calm it down because in the first appearance of him, he was so scary and creepy. I bet some of the kids were a little freaked out of Scarecrow. Which, to me, that kind of works. He needs to be kind of creepy and yeah. kind of scary. Uh, we're yeah, still hoping I, for for him to pop up in a movie. Uh, you know, my my buddy Philip and I we used to talk about back when Tim Burton was even directing and how awesome it would be if they'd have gotten like Tim Curry to be the Scarecrow back when he was really thin. Either that or Jeff Goldblum, although Tim Curry would have been an awesome Scarecrow. Yeah, Tim Curry could have pulled it off. Mm-hmm. Even so let are, keep that English accent. Are we ignoring the uh, Cillian Murphy? Oh, that's right. I forgot. He did kind of get a spot in there. But it was weird because the actor himself is scarier without the mask. Yes. I don't know what he does with his eyes, but my goodness. So I'll give him some credit, yeah. But he, it, it didn't feel like we got a full scarecrow until at the end when you see him on the horse and they're hallucinating and the horse looks like it's breathing fire and everything. And then it's like, yes, there's a scarecrow we wanted. But then as soon as he popped up, he's fried in the face. You know, it seems like the movie was not centered around him very much and everything. But yeah, Cillian Murphy, I almost forgot about that. But yeah, he was so scary just without the mask because he'd get that kind of look like he's, you could tell like he's getting frustrated and he would just kind of breathe in. And I'd like to show you my mask. <laughs> Calm. But you know, it's like, oh, he's going to do something horrible and smile about it. Let me just try some of my gas. Clear your head. And why did they bring him back for Dark Knight Rises just to put him on trial? <laughs> 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 I think it's just because everybody kind of really loved his performance. They're like, yeah, let's bring him in again. Well, if they loved his performance, give him something to do. Yeah. yeah. At least in in, uh, in uh, The Dark Knight, he had like one really kind of funny line. You know, not my diagnosis. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Which was hilarious. So, yeah, I almost forgot that he got to be the Scarecrow. I, on that one, it was so fo- uh, focused on uh, Ra's al Ghul or Ra's al Ghul, depending upon how you want to pronounce it, which... I love who they cast, Liam Neeson, in there. Although, I would like to have seen they find a way to maybe... maybe, It could have maybe made the last film better if they'd have been a bit more how the comic book is, where he's got this Lazarus Lazarus pit that he goes into, and it brings him back. And so he actually does never truly die. So it was nice to have his daughter brought in, uh, but, you know, Talia should be a bit more walking that thin line of like, well, okay, I agree with my father's vision, but I kind of have this thing for Bruce Wayne. And in the third movie, she didn't really walk that in-between line. She was just all villain. Uh, but I would like to have seen, since they were going that far and having Talia al Ghul, I would love to have seen Liam Neeson returning. At some point in there, it's a surprise. Like, yes, you think you could actually kill me? You know, something like that would have been so cool. But, yeah. Well, the the only problem I had with Liam Neeson in Batman Begins was it was so close to Star Wars, <laughs> and he was basically playing a very similar character. And I I'm watching this film and I keep thinking, you know, I'm trying to remember his the character's name in Episode One. Qui Gon Jinn. Qui Gon Jinn. I kept thinking it's it's Qui Gon, but you know, a little more evil. Evil. <laughs> Just a touch. <laughs> well, he does. He has that great demeanor for a great mentor type character because he's, oh, yeah. he's got that demeanor where you feel like you can trust him no matter what. You know, 
You just you can just whatever he says. You're like, yes, you're right. Yes, indeed. Even if part of you knows you shouldn't. <laughs> exactly. And that was that was the thing is I had been uh, like on the internet been looking and all I'd seen from Raz Al Ghul is they were showing uh, the the Asian feller. Uh, I forgot his. Uh, he's actually done a lot of stuff too. I uh, forgot his name, but they kept showing him, and so I was just sticking on him being the guy. And I thought after the fire when he was supposedly dead, it's like, well, if this is Ra's Al Ghul or Raz Al Ghul, uh, he'll be back because you can't really kill him. But uh, my wife was actually, you know, thinking more of the animated series where you had kind of this British guy and the way he was presented. It's like, uh, she, she nudged me and said, well, you know, Liam Neeson does sort of have the beard and he does have more of the demeanor. So she, was, she wasn't surprised at all when he popped up at the end. And I was like, yeah, I can deal with this. I, I kind of was expecting the other guy to come back. But yeah, having Liam Neeson was, was actually pretty cool. And he did play the character very well. But yeah, it was very similar to Qui-Gon Jinn there in the beginning. So, anyways, uh, the animated series. Um, the the nice thing about the animated series is it really did introduce a lot of the actual comic book villains to a lot of people uh, that maybe weren't familiar with some of the more obscure ones, like Poison Ivy. I had not been familiar with Poison Ivy until she popped up in the animated series. Um, let's see what some other ones that they brought around. Oh, um, now I can't think of his name. Uh, oh, golly. Well, okay. It's Ventriloquist. Yes, the Ventriloquist, where he has Scarface, the dummy, the wooden dummy, who actually is kind of this, the villain. And, and I would actually like to see this presented in a movie because it's a, an interesting psychology because you have this mild-mannered kind of guy who's actually got a split personality, but his darker personality only comes out when he's got this puppet. And then this, with this puppet, he can do some vile things, but the guy, the guy who's working the puppet is completely reviled by what the puppet does. And he's like, oh no, Mr. Scarface, you shouldn't do that. Ah, shut up, dummy, you know. <laughs> Just great, all these great villains that really kind of got brought around, um... And of course, one of the great things about the animated series is you did finally get a really just spot-on Joker, which you know Jack Nicholson I think was a pretty good influence on there. But I remember when it first popped up, nobody had any idea that good old Mark Hamill, Luke Skywalker, was behind that voice. And I didn't even find out until they did uh, their first animated movie, Mask of the Phantasm, which was a great movie released on Christmas uh, in 1994. Right? No, no 1993. Christmas in 1993 when that was released and I remember seeing some behind the scenes making of that and they actually showed Mark Hamill there in the uh, in the booth and he's talking they, they you know list him as being the voice of the Joker and I was like no you're kidding and then they showed him actually giving a performance of doing the voice and you see even the change of his face as he's acting the whole thing out as he's voicing it and you're just uh, you're just speechless when you actually see it and you're like oh my gosh I didn't know he could do that Right. So I had watched. I remember watching some of these episodes back in its original release, and yeah, I had no idea that Luke Skywalker was the Joker at the time. Now, have you seen the video uh, from the Star Wars weekends at Disney with Mark Hamill doing Luke Skywalker talking to the Joker? Mm-hmm. Ricky Briganti's infamous video. Yes, that's an awesome <laughs> video. <laughs> it's a very good video. I love the follow-up though that he had. That apparently Mark Hamill got got a letter from Warner Brothers to say, "Hey, you are not the Joker." With cease and desist. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! You know, actually, I think the animated series had a lot of people who uh, voiced in that you wouldn't have known were celebrities. In fact, even like with Mask of the Phantasm, the, the first movie they did, they actually had uh, what uh, Dana Delaney. Has a voice in there. Had um, oh, I can picture him, and now I can't think of him. 
The only other thing I can think of he was in is like, and look who's talking, he was John Travolta's grandfather. Um, oh, no! Well-known Italian actor and everything. He actually had a pretty good role in there before his character is, is killed. Um, but yeah, I actually had a pretty good starring cast in there. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Efren Zimbalis Jr., who played Alfred in that, did pass away, uh, golly, I think just last year. Uh, so we're losing a lot of these great actors and a lot of these voice actors. And even, uh, I think, Michael Goh, who was Alfred in the the Tim Burton to uh, Joel Schumacher movies, has passed away within the last uh, five, ten years, I think, something like that. So it's sad to watch them all go. But, uh, you know, the nice thing is Adam West still going. Oh, back to uh, characters in the animated series. I, we just brought up the uh, list on Wikipedia. I had no idea that Richard Mall played Harvey Dent. Yeah, bull. That's, wow. I recognized his voice right away. He, I didn't realize how talented of a voice actor he could be until then. Yeah, we, we just went ahead and added the uh, yeah. four seasons. Yeah, Roddy McDowell was, was on there. Yeah, he was the Mad Hatter, I believe, wasn't he? Yep. Yes. Yep. Yes. Which is somebody else that would be make an awesome villain in a movie. And if if Christopher Nolan had went ahead and kept going, there was a lot of people who were pushing to like to see his take on the Riddler because we're so used to seeing a very silly Riddler that we don't really get the uh, scary, deadly death trap Riddler who is uh, proving he's smarter than you not just by committing this crime that you'll never figure out, but putting setting up death traps. Just to say, yeah, we'll see, if you were smarter, you would solve this death trap. But you might as well just give up, because you know, and if you admit that I'm smarter, I'll let you out of this, Batman. You know, that sort of a thing. The egomaniac who's, who puts these brilliant traps together that are all riddle-based, uh, which they did in the animated series when they first introduced him. He had this entire uh, maze. He had, he had created this video game um, uh, before you know he was fired. But uh, he had made this entire maze and made it this complete death trap to challenge Batman and Robin to come through the maze to uh, save somebody at the center of the maze and had all these neat little traps and everything and that you had to solve his riddles. And if you got his riddle wrong, something horrible was about to happen. Uh, and I was like, yes, this is the Riddler we're familiar with. The one that's, that's constantly trying to outsmart you and will be like, oh, well, you didn't solve my riddle. You're going to have to die now. <laughs> so, would love to see that done in the movie because if you wanted to do a kind of a, a live action movie and keep it as dark as you could and get away from the silly bouncing around of even though Jim Carrey was hilarious and I do still love the 66 Riddler he was fun as well but Frank Gorshman I think it was wasn't it yes, yes. yeah I, I did love him just because he's just because that was my first major Batman was the 66 series but yeah I would still love to see him done properly that's one of the things that's great uh, now that they finally you know, they've tried to make a good Batman video game for a very long time and finally now with that uh, we're just calling it the Arkham series at this point uh, began with Arkham Asylum and then you had Arkham City which was confusing to some people because I, I all over the internet people were going I thought it was in Gotham City uh, you had to play the game to know what, why they were calling it Arkham City uh, but you know, it was around that point you started getting a, a good Riddler in there. And the first game, he's constantly taunting you. He set up these riddles and all these things for you to find, and uh, you, you pretty much photograph the solution to the riddles. And uh, you, he annoys you the entire time because he's hacked into Batman's uh, cod piece. So, or not cod piece. I'm sorry, that's the wrong word. <laughs> Cacked into his cowl, you know, where he's got, uh, you know, his radio transmissions where he keeps in contact with Oracle and can monitor things. But well, the Riddler has hacked in there, and all throughout the game, he is taunting you. 
And so finally, if you solve all of his riddles and collect all of the little things the Riddler has hidden, you get to hear the police scanner as the police actually found the Riddler's location and arrest him because by solving all the stuff, you were able to send his location to the police. And it's the most satisfying thing in that game to hear the Riddler going, No! You had to have cheated! You had to have cheated! And you hear police sirens and the, and the cops are busting nice. Freeze! And you're like, Yes! You got him! So... And they just kept going. Like, the second game is where he actually had death traps, and he had civilians in these death traps that you had to solve a puzzle in order to free them. And just, oh, just great challenges that the Riddler can be that I would just love to see in a movie. When you were talking a little while ago about uh, how this animated series is where a lot of the characters that you weren't familiar with were uh, you first saw. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, now the video games. Now I got to tell you where a lot of these characters where I first saw them was the Batman Lego games. Oh yes, I mean that was my first like to um, Poison Ivy and, and several of the characters was was playing them in the Lego games. I absolutely love the the second one, which is more of a, an open DC world. Yeah, I haven't played that one because when I got the demo, I kind of. Like, oh, when the Legos started talking. Because I loved the old Lego games where they were just grunt and point because it was hilarious that way. And when they started talking, I was like, oh, it lost something for me. Well, it's, it's, it's really a lot of fun because um, you go outside of, the, of Batman's universe because you know, Superman shows up, Wonder Woman, and then all of their villains also shows up. But the funniest thing about the game for me is Aquaman. <laughs> because there's at one point in the game and I think it's the Joker in some of the levels he spray painted graffiti on the walls and you have to to get a, uh, one of the extra gold bricks you have to clear off all the graffiti well the only character that can do that is Aquaman because he's got the trident that shoots water cool that is the only thing he's good for in the entire game <laughs> Aww. that's kind of unfortunate Aquaman really gets a bad rap yes because, like, unfortunately from the Super Friends, uh, they just basically had him, oh, look, he can communicate with the sea life. It's like, yeah, but he's actually near Superman's strength level, and he's this mighty warrior of Atlantis and can control all the water, and if he wanted to, he could wipe us all out. But he's, you know, and even Big Bang Theory, and it drives my buddy Philip nuts, because they always, they have the episodes where they're going to dress as the Justice League uh, to go to, like, a, I think, like a New Year's Eve party at the comic shop, and they're all fighting on who's going to get stuck being Aquaman. And like, oh, Aquaman stinks. And boy, my buddy Philip was like, no, Aquaman does not stink. He is one of the most awesome characters, and you guys are not giving him any respect. <laughs> so, And even a Lego game, no respect. Look, no I can respect. spray water. Yeah, I, like I said, a big fan of that second game. I played Batman up until when I until I unlocked Superman, and then I wasn't Batman anymore because Superman could fly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Superman's always going to be that little bit better than Batman. But what's great in this game is you're going through the different levels. There's a couple levels where Superman swoops in before you, uh, you're doing the story mode. Superman will swoop in and save you. And just some of the looks that the Lego Batman gives to the Lego Superman, like, I can't believe, I, I almost had it. Like, what are you doing here? And, you know, Robin is like, yay, we're saved. And Batman's just giving, like, the death stare. I was so close. I, was, I, I would have had this figured out if you just waited. <laughs> That's very much like their relationship. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's one thing. Like I said, I wasn't a big into the comics, and I didn't know the relationship between the two characters until that game, because there's part of the levels uh, when you're playing as Batman that you're collecting kryptonite. Wow. I'm going to have to go get that one. 
Of course, right now, I just I found a really good deal on all three of the Uncharted games for the PS3 that were PS3 exclusives, so I'm going to be spending my time on that while I raise money for a PS4 and Disney Infinity 2. <laughs> so it gives me something to do, but yeah, I, I need to get more of the LEGO games. I've kind of fallen behind on those because I love the Harry Potter one. And I didn't get the second one of those. And then I've got the first Batman one, and I do love that one. And I love that it's got the Danny Elfman music in it. That's so yes. awesome. So because it was a lot better than what than the Christopher Nolan. Uh, and actually, uh, another podcast, Skywalking Through Neverland, was actually talking about how movie scores have changed, to where it seems like they they don't so much give you this big anthem as much anymore. Uh, and I think a lot of it might also have to do with. Like, even if you look at all the Marvel movies, you don't get a title sequence at the beginning, you get it at the end. And a lot of people, unless, except for Marvel movies, some people now are smart enough to stay to the very end of the credits, but you don't get that big heroic anthem until the end credits. But the unfortunate thing is, every time they make a different Marvel movie, it seems you get a different composer. Yes. And so you don't have a consistent Iron Man theme song. Uh, you don't have a consistent Captain America theme song. I'm afraid we're going to, I think we've got a different uh, Avengers composer coming along so we won't have the same music there either and so it's like oh you know i i really miss back in the days where like danny elfman did at least two batman movies and that was the batman theme and then i remember when i went to the third one and it was not danny elfman then it was a completely different score i was like oh really okay hmm. there's something to be said about the theme music for for like especially in a superhero genre well, especially a theme for a certain character. Yes, I mean, there's there's music, a piece of music today that you know I could throw in, and within five seconds you know who that is about. You know, like Raiders March. You yes. know that's Indiana Jones. Yep. Uh, you know stuff like that. You don't get that as much. Yeah, today. you really don't. And that's it's kind of a sad thing because now we're in the era where superhero movies are bigger than they have ever been, which is an exciting time for a geeky guy like me. But I I loved collecting like the old superheroes, and I still love collecting different soundtracks and everything. But I don't feel like I'm getting the great superhero anthems that I used to get. I mean, the last really really good one was um, uh, was for the the the, the uh, Spider Man the first set of Spider Man films where you did have some Danny Elfman score, and he did come up with a good theme. Although there was complaints that it's all this violin, and you couldn't actually hear the actual theme underneath it. But I didn't know it just, it was, the, the way he put it together for Spider-Man 2, he brought out the main theme a bit more. Uh, so, I mean, it, it was a really good one. Now, I will give some credit, though, to James Horner, who did Amazing Spider-Man, uh, which you don't get the payoff for that theme there until, like, the end of the movie. And it is really good because James Horner is really good. And then, mm-hmm. unfortunately, we get Amazing Spider-Man 2, and we I, I thought I was going to get something awesome because, although it wasn't James Horner, it was... Oh, my mind just went brown blank. Uh, Hans Zimmer. It was Hans Zimmer doing the score, and I thought, oh, wow, I love Hans Zimmer's work. He's done stuff for Pirates of the Caribbean and The Lion King and just such great stuff. And then he decided to be experimental and did this weird stuff. And at no point do you really even get a good superhero theme. You get, like, three notes that's like a beat whenever Spider-Man shows up. And it's like, really? At least, you know, Electro had this two-note thing, except for one of the notes, the two notes gets a repeat. So it's like, that's it. Now, I, I will grant, it is a clever soundtrack if you listen to Electro's got this whole um, thing where there's like this chanting underneath that kind of gives you some of the insanity and kind of gives you some of the character where you have this building anger in him that's going to, you know, it's just eventually going to explode, where it's the paranoia and stuff like that. So this, there's kind of this creepy chanting underneath it, which I don't know if it came out in the movie so well. I don't know if you can really hear it. 
But uh, on the soundtrack, at least, it was, that was pretty good. But that's probably the best feature, really, on the soundtrack. And so, with all the new superhero movies, I really would love to hear some good old-fashioned anthems come back. And at least keep... I love the, the thing they did with the Avengers and Captain America and everything. That sounded really good in Captain America and the First Avenger. But when it, when it doesn't get reused, I, it just makes me sad. Although the music for The Winter Soldier did fit. It sounded good for the movie. It, it, you, there wasn't really this Captain America theme, you know, like, Hey! Well, to, to bring this all the way back to where we started, is there a better TV theme song than the 66 Batman? Not for TV. I, 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 I kind of like the Danny Elfman music maybe a little better, but it's not for it. fun. Yeah. It's, it's close. Because <laughs> you got to love the 66 Batman theme. You know, it was, it was a great sing-along, especially if you hear, uh, uh, and I don't know where the recording originated, because, you, you know, there's, but there's a recording where it actually starts out well, with the whole Batmobile launch-up with, you know, turbines to speed. Yeah. Roger, over and out, and the whole thing, <laughs> you know, it's, it's such a great little fun intro, which I'm going to play that actually right now, because I... To the Batmobile, let's go. Atomic batteries to power, turbines to speed. Roger, ready to move out. Uh, yeah, that was that's just a great one. I, and and I, the funny thing is, when I first heard, I'm babbling on and on, aren't I? But when I first heard that version of it with that that uh, intro, I had forgotten that they actually did say that nearly every episode until uh, um, golly, I think uh, the Hub Network, I guess, is what started showing it again here recently. And I noticed anytime they were, you know, like the first time they were hopping into the Batmobile after they'd gotten that call, they actually did do a checklist of like, you know, turbines to speed, you know, and all that whole thing. It was usually done on because they were all two part episodes. Right. It was usually done at near the the big, you know, you had the the first episode where you had a little bit pre credit sequence where you find out who the villain was this week and the call to Batman. Then you had the theme. And then as the credits were finishing up, you always had that scene where they were jumping in the Batmobile to race off to go see uh, Commissioner Gordon and Robin going through that checklist. It was usually in the first of the two episodes. Yep. And it was great. Now, who, though, would not want to have a bat pole somewhere in their home that you all had to do is slide down a pole and next thing you know, you're in a bat suit? Or have you ever seen them? Uh, there's some episodes where they're in the bat cave and they have steam power that shoots them back up and they come back up dressed <laughs> in their suits. Yeah, I've seen that, too. Well, they get a, suddenly a call from uh, Aunt Harriet from upstairs, and oh yeah, somebody's here to see you, Mister Ray or you know, Bruce. And yep, uh, I think they even did that in the movie at one point, didn't they? I think that when uh, Miss Kitka first shows up. I believe so. It's been a while since I've seen that. Oh yes, so that's that's just one of the things that you know, we're going to go back and talk about sixty six again. How about it? The the gadgets were a lot more fun in that one because any off the wall weird thing they could think of, they just did it. 
Well, that in the, in the vehicles, I mean, yeah, the Batmobile for the Tim Burton is cool. Yep. And 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 the Tumbler is is pretty cool, but the iconic 66 Batmobile. And then when you get to the movies, you've got the Batboat and the and the Batcopter, which were awesome. Yeah. And they were only used in the movie. Yeah. And uh, also the uh, the the uh, Bat uh, motorcycle with the sidecar that would shoot out with Robin in it. Yep. Those were awesome. Yeah, and a lot of that at least was still reused uh, in the... Well, I haven't seen the Filmation Batman animated, but there was an animated series that was kind of the same setup of Super Friends that had Batman in it. Excuse me, where it still had Casey Kasem voicing Robin, uh, the same voices they were when they joined with Super Friends, but you would occasionally see them using the exact same Bat Cycle or flying around in the exact same Bat Helicopter or Bat Copter. Copter. Yeah, so I, I do love the, the fact that Super Friends really kind of drew a lot of inspiration from the 66 series. And uh, I think the 66, 66 series really helped for the image of the Batmobile because uh, when you uh, if you ever read any of the original comics or even see any of those old serials, he's almost just got like a... It's like Bruce Wayne and Batman are driving the exact same car. Yeah, it's like a, an elongated blue sedan or a black sedan. Yeah, it doesn't stand out at all. So it's, it was really kind of sad, and then you know you get the iconic '66 one, which I actually do have a little toy somewhere around here of the '66 one because I had to get it when I saw it. I have a Hot Wheels of it. I think that's what I've got is like it's like a Hot Wheels somewhere hanging on the wall. I can't see it from where I'm at, but yeah, that's always going to be the uh, to me that is the Batmobile that started the Batmobile being a cool car, and I think it really uh, helped that you had James Bond had come around. And already set the standard for this is what a cool car should be like, and have all these cool gadgets. And they thought, well, Batman has gadgets, so um, the, you suddenly now you've got a good Batmobile that had all these fun gadgets, and it was a cool looking car. Uh, there's even a fun story of the guy who designed it. I don't know if you've heard <laughs> about this, but that he was test driving it after he had finished it, and he had forgot that he doesn't have license plates on the thing, and he actually got pulled over. While driving the Batmobile, and then he explained to the cop what it was. Is like, you know, that hey, I was actually just making this car. There's a, a Batman series we're about to start shooting, and I had to make the car, and I was just test driving it. The cop let him go for that and said, "Well, <laughs> just make sure you're driving home because it doesn't have any proper licensing out here." So they didn't have the Gotham City '66 license plate that the car has in the TV show. Well, that wouldn't be a legal license plate anyway, not in nope. California. <laughs> But yeah, I, I remember hearing that story uh, during, uh, there was a TV special, I think it was, maybe it was right before The Dark Knight came out, but they did, uh, and I think it was going to be a special feature on one of the DVDs where they actually had like the histories of the Batmobile, and I think that's where he had told that story, is in that one. Well, have you seen the um, kind of a mockumentary with uh, Adam West and... Burt Ward. Burt Ward where they're kind of going back and looking at their history as Batman and Robin, but then also solving a crime in the meanwhile? It was, like, done in the 80s. I've heard of it. I thought it was 90s. Might have been, yeah, what was it called? Back to the Batcave. Yeah. I've heard of it. I'm hoping Netflix picks it up one of these days. I know Netflix does have a nice documentary about Adam West, which is pretty neat. Well, when... um we were at the uh, Hall of Heroes Superhero Museum. One of the things that they had uh, in place was that the local Barnes and Noble was there selling uh, books and stuff, and they were giving I think was it twenty percent of their sales yeah. uh, to the yeah. Barnes and Noble is doing something called Pop Cultured, where they're doing comic tie-ins. In fact, this Wednesday 
they're doing a big Batman event at all the Barnes and Nobles. But we picked up a book that they had there that's all about the history of the Batmobile, and it's all the Batmobiles. Oh, cool. It's a hardback coffee table size book, and it's got tons of pictures. Oh, that's I've got something similar. I got that. I think it was a Barnes and Noble that we we'd picked up. I can't go in that store without spending too much money. But I found this on sale. It's called the Batman Museum, and instead of actually being about Batman to give you like information about Batman, it's about the cultural phenomenon of Batman and all of the memorabilia. And it's got like reprints of the cover of like you know, little golden books, Batman books, and stuff like that. Uh, kind of re- recreation of a, an Adam West style mask that was apparently on the back of like a cereal box or something. Just it's full of all these type of things. But it's, yeah, it's a coffee table type book. So yeah, I oh, I don't know if I had I didn't see the one of was history of the Batmobile. That'd be awesome. Yeah, we also picked up a um, a book that's um, well, a graphic novel comics. They started a new line of Batman comics that's based on the '66 t- television show. Yeah, I've seen some of those. I, I yeah. probably should pick some up. And yeah, we picked up this hardback. I think it's a, com- a compendium of some of the uh, trade paperbacks or trade comics. Cool. I'm not sure what the exact term is, but. Oh, well, yeah, they tend to call it a graphic novel at that point still, but yeah, well, they collect, uh, like, numbers one through six or something like that, and they put it in a nice bound book and everything. Kind of gives a lot of second chance uh, to purchase, a spe- you know, if you're, if you're trying to collect a series and you manage to miss some issues and you can't find them, suddenly here comes a book where they've collected it all, and you can just, oh, look, I'll buy it and I can read it all here, so... It's a good way to make a lot of extra money after the initial uh, stuff, you know, comes out like, uh, you know, Secrets of the Weird, I know, is going to have one uh, come out. I'm sure Figment will be collected all together, and uh, they'll probably sell more of that than they did individual issues, because people will, instead of trying to, you know, they have, have a hard time tracking down all the issues, they'll just buy the whole book of it, and they go from there. So, yeah, it's a very handy thing, and a lot of people, they prefer to prefer that method instead of going to a comic shop and buying individual comics. They like to go to into a bookstore or something and find an L. The, it seems more sophisticated to them to say this is a graphic novel it's not a comic book I'm like no actually that is a comic book it's just uh, bound together and you're actually reading five at the same time is all but, what I like about it being hardback it seems to last longer yeah yeah really got to take care of these uh, these things because it is pretty much well it's magazine print here anymore but it used to be all newsprint which is one of the things that's amazing that uh Especially after the uh, the Comics Authority whole burning comic books thing happened, that there are still copies of some of the original Batman stuff still in existence that are now worth so much money because they're so rare. Mm-hmm. But I do love that that you know you do find reprints. Uh, actually, the local libraries, how I've gotten to read some of the original Superman and some of the original Batman, as they did collect a bunch of it and put it out, and it's fun to see the differences. Like Superman originally. The, the reason why they'd say he could leap a tall buildings is because he couldn't fly, but he'd leap a tall building. He didn't start flying until the the Max Fleischer cartoons when uh, they, it just kind of started looking like he was flying when he'd do these leaps, and then they said, you know what, can we just go ahead and make him fly now? So, <laughs> they, so you know what, that's a good idea. He should be able to fly. Uh, and then you just look at the original Batman, and it's it starts out where it's, it's like they're trying to make him like he was going to be a dark figure, but once they brought in Robin it was like this swashbuckling kind of thing and uh, you know I actually know why they brought in characters like Robin 
uh, is they noticed that the people buying these comic books, you know, you had a lot of the, the soldiers during World War II who were buying comics and things like that, uh, and you did have a lot of an adult audience who would buy them, but they noticed that the kids were picking up on this, and they thought, oh, wait a minute, we could have a huge market with kids, because they've always got their little sticky little dimes from, you know, that they didn't buy their bubblegum, they wanted a comic book, so they thought, well, if, if we create, like, a, maybe like a teenage character, or, yep. you know, in there, the kids Sidekick. can relate. So next thing you know, you've got Robin, you've got Bucky, because in the actual comics, Bucky was a teenager running around with Captain America fighting the Nazis, which is yep. weird. But it, it did make more sense to have him as a grown adult, uh, I guess, in the in the movie, because everybody had been like, why is there a kid out there fighting along with him? That doesn't make sense. A kid shouldn't be fighting a war. So there have been questions. But yes, that was the, the beginning of Teenage Sidekicks, and Robin is one of the first. But uh, we probably better wrap this up here. We've gone like an hour and 16 minutes, and <laughs> I could babble on and keep going and everything. I can get off topic, as I've demonstrated. Of course, now I cut this down. It's going to be a lot shorter. But anyways, let me go ahead and give a wrap-up here. Well, thanks again for coming back again and visiting. Well, actually, I'm visiting you guys because we're actually at my home here in Disney, Indiana, anytime I talk to you guys. Because you guys are the grand high muckety-mucks at Disney, Indiana. You can't just go wander off to Missouri and anytime It's you want. like we don't travel. We, yeah. We're above that. You're above that. Although people can meet you if they go to the Friends of the Magic meet on uh, August 8th, 9th, and 10th over in Disneyland. Uh, what ride are you hosting? We are going to be uh, hosting a ride on Roger Rabbit's Cartoon Spin. Perfect. And we, we invite everybody to come out because we're going to have a sing-along. Oh my goodness. What are you going to sing? Smile, darn you smile. <laughs> Perfect. I wonder how many people actually know the lyrics to that because I didn't even realize that was the title of the song until I heard like later on because anytime I watch the movie it's just ah, 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 we will be providing like, the lyrics okay. yes we will have the lyrics provided awesome. plus we we also have um, a little bit of Roger Rabbit trivia with prizes ooh hey sounds awesome I'll make sure Jesse goes and attends your event and I hope he gets a good recording of everybody singing because that would be awesome <laughs> He'll probably have to point it away from himself. I don't think he's going to work. Then again, he might be this awesome singer and might want to make sure he sings right into the microphone I send him. We'll just see how that turns out. I'll I'll stand near him with my um, earbuds that are also microphones. He may not know. (laughs) Not unless he hears this. (laughs) So if he doesn't pop on your show, he'll pop up on mine. We'll get him. Alrighty, but once again, like I said, thanks for coming by. We love having you, giving you all a chance to talk about something other than Disney, although talking about Disney is awesome. It's fun sometimes to branch off. Yep. It is. Yep. Ch- check us out over at DisneyIndiana.com or su- search for Disney Indiana in iTunes. Or on Facebook. Are you on Stitcher? We are not on Stitcher. <gasps> you might, might, you might want to get yourself on Stitcher. Just a suggestion. Spread it out there. Get the, get the Disney Indiana love going. You know, it's got to be this great circle. We need to build this community. We need to have more people in living in there. You know, and we've just uh, just this uh, past weekend we passed uh, six years of doing our show. My goodness, and I'm only coming up on one. I'm just such a rookie, but that's okay. I'm getting better as I go. So I don't have six years experience to be an awesome podcaster yet, but you know, I'm still pretty good. We enjoy your shows. 
Well, that's good. At least somebody should. I know I enjoy listening to my own show. And we, we have grown our audience and everything. We're, we're, we're a slow grower. And I'm working on a social media campaign, which, by the way, everybody, if you make sure on Twitter you follow at NeverlandPCast or go to Facebook.com slash NeverlandPodcast, make sure you see every day I'm posting up the daily Disney Marvel character so you can get more familiar with uh, some of these characters you've seen in movies. And after I've gone through a lot of the ones you're familiar with in movies, I am going to be doing some of the more obscure characters. Although I did put one an obscure character called Darkhawk just because we absolutely love that character. That uh, was kind of for me and my buddy Philip. He's the one who introduced me to that character. Uh, I'm, but, st- I'm still waiting for Howard. Howard the Duck? Yes. I'm not sure if I have a card of him. You know, I do have some cards of the old Howard the Duck movie. I bet I can post up sometime. Which makes me wonder, you know, with Disney now owning Howard the Duck, how long do we have to wait before Howard the Duck meets Donald Duck? Well, you- the original drawings for Howard the Duck looked a lot more like Donald than he did in the movie. Yeah, and Disney you know, Disney actually made Marvel change. Yeah, because it was pretty much like Donald Duck with a cigar and a um, leisure suit, <laughs> pretty much. But yeah, that's one of the things that was funny when that movie came out. I didn't realize this was a comic book character until later on, and I've gotten to read it, and my goodness, it is some seriously off-the-wall stuff. But uh, if you go in online, uh, if you go to like Marvel's Wiki, uh, you can find a lot of information about Howard the Duck, and he's been involved in some major Marvel events, actually. I don't know where anybody finds his books at, because I've never seen him in a comic shop, but apparently he's regularly getting published somewhere. And if the rumors are true, we may see him again soon. I haven't heard any of these rumors. What are these rumors? I've heard I've heard rumors that he may be in Guardians of the Galaxy. That would be awesome. <laughs> He'd fit right into that movie too, because they are doing for a fun style and in space. Yes. Oh, that could I be am so cool. Ridiculously looking forward to this movie, even though I have no familiarity with the series. I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm a science fiction fan from way back. The sense of humor is right in my wheelhouse, so yeah. Oh, come on. What's the real reason you want to see it? Chris Pratt. <laughs> <laughs> Did you manage to get a copy of Chris Pratt on the cover of Entertainment Weekly with a baby raccoon on his shoulder? I have not seen that yet. I've just heard about it. Oh, that was a couple of weeks ago. I think you're too late. Because the, the oh. current issue, I want to find the current issue. They actually had a nice preview of the Avengers Age of Ultron. And they actually showed, standing behind Iron Man is Ultron. So you kind of get an idea of what he's going to look I like. I did see that, yep. Oh, goodness, and it looks awesome. So, But yes, I'm definitely looking forward to Guardians of the Galaxy, which... Uh, I, I've heard that there's been at least three different versions of those characters throughout the, since the 60s. And... Uh, this current version of Spring was brought around by Brian Michael Bendis, who's a great comic writer. Uh, so I think his, he's managed to bring a lot of popularity back to these characters. So I do recommend going and finding some of the comics, because I, I'd kind of like to see what he's done. And to now to, to see some of these lesser-known characters given a movie, it gives me hope for that a lot of these lesser-known characters throughout the Marvel Universe will one day have a movie. Because even uh, Iron Man was considered to be like a second- or third-tier character. You know, all these ones that came out in the Avengers were kind of like, well, they aren't our powerhouses. They're not Spider-Man, or they're not X-Men. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're, they've really they're the ones up. They're the ones that we have rights to make movies for. <laughs> right. And it worked out perfectly that they still had the rights. But there's so many characters that they could work with that uh, it's, I'm really excited to see what all characters they can bring bring out that are going to be you know less familiar to most people. Uh, and especially to do it as well as what it looks like Guardians of the Galaxy. There is one thing that I'm wondering if it's just in the trailer that they've changed the name to kind of hide a secret. 
But uh, actually, I think you you all played the audio on your show this week, um, where they're t- talking about um, Gamora's uh, all of her people on her planet was wiped out by somebody, and uh, I believe they said his name was Rhinos or something like that. Yes, I believe so. And then also Drax talking about his family being killed by the same character. Um, now, in the comic books, it's Thanos who did that. So I don't know if in the movie they've changed it because they didn't want to necessarily have Thanos be their main objective because they want to really... Uh, sounds like they're thinking about having the Guardians and the Avengers team together to fight Thanos by the third Avengers movie. That'd be so cool. Um, that's that's the rumor I've heard, too. Mm-hmm. Thanos is the third Avenger movie. Yep. But uh, I really hope that the, they just were trying to hide because I... As much as I've heard, you know who they. I've heard. Um, I can't remember who they cast now, but uh, I've I reported previously who they've cast to voice Thanos, uh, and all the stuff that's it's flying around the internet that we know Thanos is, is may, plays a part in Guardians of the Galaxy. They might be trying to hide that in the trailers by not saying his name, and maybe when you actually see the movie, they'll say Thanos instead of Rhinos or whatever they've been saying. I'm hoping, but we'll see. Uh, but anyways, uh, we better start wrapping this up, which I started trying to do like five minutes ago. But <laughs> for more information on anything on this, make sure you go to NeverlandPodcast.com, where you can also uh, find the links you know, on the podcast. Find our links on FOTM, which stands for Friends of the Magic, which uh, I need to get a hold of Jesse and have him updated. So hopefully by the time you see this, he'll have updated. And he might know a little bit more information than I do about our meeting on the Columbia, uh, where he will be there. I will try to call his phone and be able to address everybody there, but he's going to have have some sort of trivia i do believe and we do have a very cool prize so i think he's uh expected to be sometime saturday afternoon at the columbia and he's done some research and he knows some interesting things about that ship and so it sounds like a lot of fun i wish i could be there personally but i can't but make sure you also do visit our sponsors if you go to neverland podcast on the left you will see a nice big hey are you interested in looking at some comics there's a nice big banner i have there for mycomicshop.com where you can go and uh, go go and search for anything you want to find and go buy it. Like if you're having a hard time finding those Figment comics, they have them in stock. So you can go and buy those Figment comics. So go check them out. Uh, Really happy to have them as a sponsor because they really do fit in with my show. All right, but I guess I've already thanked you like twice already for coming on the show. But yeah, we'll have you on again because I'm sure we find other topics for you guys to get to talk about in the old time. So... Maybe I'll find out you guys are like huge Doctor Who fans because you'll have finally sat down and watched it. <laughs> Last time I talked to you, you hadn't watched it, and everybody's telling you, oh, you got to check it out. Yep, no, we we, we... we may have to pick up with the latest Doctor. You might, although you might be a little lost because of the companions, but then again, you might feel a little like the, the, the companion who's been around previously because this is the first time she's seen the Doctor regenerate, so she's going to, of course, have the confusion of like, okay, you're you're the Doctor, but you're not my Doctor. Who are you? You know, So you're going to have to go through that phase. So, but yeah, you'll get hooked. <laughs> oh, yes, you will get hooked. Yeah, you're, you're not the only pe- person that's been telling me that, oh, so... Yeah. That is that is probably one of the greatest sci-fi epics of, of on television next to Star Trek. Maybe uh, we'll have to do a Star Trek show sometime. Certainly will, because I'm going to have to talk about, it and I'm going to get Philip in here too. Because I tell you what, he's a good Star Trekkie. So yes, all this stuff coming probably sometime within this, the second season of Neverland Podcast. So y'all keep listening. I need to find a good way to sign off the listeners <laughs> because I'm just going to keep babbling on. We're going to go an hour and a half with this show. But hey, if you've st- as I love the, the Jesse used this, um, and I'm going to go ahead and repeat it. If you've been listening and still listening this long, hi mom. So. 
Which, unfortunately, my mom has passed away, so it doesn't quite work, but it's still funny. But, as we always like to say here... Well, hi, Tracy's mom, because my (laughs) mom has passed away, too. Yeah, well, hi, Tracy's mom. So, But, as we like to say here in Neverland, keep your pixie in your pocket. So, anytime you need to, and you're having a rough day, you pull that pixie out, and you can spread that pixie dust around, and make sure you share that with your your neighbors, so you can all fly away with that happy thought to to Neverland anytime you need to, and you need to have that positive attitude. And remember to keep following and chasing those dreams. You only fail when you give up. And until next time, God bless. Bye.